Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Voters in the city of Tucson are about to get their ballots in the mail for the city council race. This week, we look at who and what is on the ballot. The city of Tucson election will be conducted by mail, which means next week the elections department will begin sending ballots out. In addition to city council races, City of Tucson voters will be asked to decide on an increase in the minimum wage. If voters approve, Proposition 206 would raise the minimum wage in the city to $15 by 2025. C.J. Boyd with Tucson Fight for 15 says now is the time to raise the minimum wage in the city. It's just overdue. Um, so it, it was a good time 10 years ago, and it's it's a better time each uh, each year that passes that it hasn't happened. And so we're really just, I think what's unique about this year is we were so close to passing it at the federal level, and there's already widespread support, much largely because of that federal, that national conversation that had already been taking place, that when we started talking to voters here, when we were collecting signatures, we just found it was overwhelmingly supportive. You know, just most folks thought either we were already had already done this, or that we were already in the process of doing this. You know, at the federal level, um, or if they knew, if they had seen what had happened, they were really angry at some of the you know things that got in the way of that, um, including our own uh, Christian cinema, and um, that really, I think that's just made people more determined to make sure that we can do this in Tucson right now. I mean, I, I still think we need to do it federally. It's not like this isn't the end. This is just a, a step in the right direction. Um, but I hope that this, you know, continues. Does this minimum wage increase that's on the ballot, does it provide additional protections for workers or is it just a straight increase to $15 an hour? No, there are a few um, additional um Protections. Well, the one that I am most excited about um, is it, it actually, and it's, it's the largest thing that I think it does besides raising the minimum wage, is it creates an office of wage uh, enforcement here in Tucson. And a lot of folks don't realize this, but wage theft is the largest kind of theft in the country. It outpaces every other kind of theft from like, from, you know, violent robberies to white color theft, fraud, all of it just combined still doesn't equal as much as a wage theft in this country. And the fact, part of why that is, is because it's not enforced. And that if the average factory worker or custodian or, uh, you know, restaurant worker is not paid what they are owed, what they are contractually owed, there really isn't anyone they can go to and have that set right. They, you know, they're not going to go to the police. And even if they did go to the police, the police aren't going to say that's not really what we do here. What else is in this in this uh, initiative? There's a practice of what's called tip pooling at many um, restaurants or bars that have, um, you know, have a tip jar that everybody splits. And that's fine. Um, But there are some places now that will include management and even the owner in the same tip pool as employees making minimum wage. And there's a provision in this to say, you can't do that. Um, One of the ones that I really like in it, this this has affected me personally, I used to work at a bar in Chicago many years ago where sometimes you show up to work, you're on time, you're ready to work. And they say, you know, we're, we're pretty slow tonight. We're just going to send you home. And it doesn't matter that you rode a bicycle across town in the snow. It just, you just go home and you don't get paid anything. Um, 
there is a provision in this that says, look, you can do that. Employers can do that, but they have to pay the employee a minimum for three hours. Um, and this doesn't apply to all. I, I should mention that's one that doesn't apply to every employer, but um, I think it's 20, I think it's 20 employees or more. Uh, it's either 20 or 25. I can't recall off, offhand, but um, so it is for slightly larger employers. The opponents of this say it's bad for business. This could force small businesses to go out of business, which means loss of jobs for people with minimum who are making minimum wage potentially. How do you argue against that? Well, we're very fortunate because we have lots of examples to, to, to look at, and that just never actually happens. Um, the, the simple history of it is that whenever that, whenever, I mean, the, the minimum wage has been going up at the federal or state or county or city level in different places ever since it was established in 1938 under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, every time it goes up, people scream, you know, that the sky is going to fall and everything will be destroyed. And that's just never what happens. What we actually see is that the economy improves for everyone when minimum wage workers are lifted up. Um, and that's because the economy does better when more people participate in it. When you have only a small group of people able to participate, in the, even in this local economy, it's really not as good for anybody because when you give people that already have a lot of money, more money, they don't really spend more. They, they invest it, they save it, they, you know, they put it away for a rainy day. And, and uh, when you give low-wage workers, we spend it. If you give us more, there's already things that we're not spending it on because we don't have it. And so then we're going to go out and we might treat ourselves to a nice dinner once in a while because we can actually afford it now. We're still not like making tons of money, but it, it allows for some room there and, and to just cover things that were previously had to just be, you know, left out. That was C.J. Boyd with the Tucson Fight for 15 campaign. The main opposition to the increase in the minimum wage and the additional provisions of Prop 206 is the Tucson Metro Chamber of Commerce. Amber Smith is the chamber's president. Well, this proposition really is built on things far greater than the simple wage issue. There are so many underlying pieces to it that are complicated, in some cases uh, completely against federal regulation and labor laws, and in general feels punitive to employers as opposed to supportive of employees. What are some of the things, for example, that you say are against federal labor laws? Sure. So it prohibits the use of using social security numbers um, in paying wages in some cases. And that in itself, of course, is a red flag uh, because no employer wants to be in a position to where they have to choose following the local law. When we talked to the backers of this, they pointed to some of the, the parts of it in addition to the, the jump in the minimum wage, for example, having to pay workers who would normally be sent home, uh, for example, bartenders, restaurant workers, if there's it's a, a quiet night, uh, this would require pay for a couple of hours worth of work at least. Do you have problems with some of those provisions also? Absolutely. Um, 
what that references is that you have to pay your employees a minimum of three hours. And yes, there are so many parts of it that are difficult for the hospitality industry, like servers, but healthcare as well. I mean, so many of those in the healthcare industry have those that work on call or also, you know, pick up when it's busy or sent home when it's not. And this absolutely crushes them as well. Would larger businesses, uh, many of whom, or even smaller businesses, many of whom are already paying above the minimum wage, would this hurt them? And if so, is it just because of these other provisions or would the wage increase also hurt them? Yes, definitely. So regardless if you're a small business or large business, there's a couple of things happening here. One, we have really tight labor market. You know, those that want to work are employed, quite frankly. And to retain those employees, employers are paying well above minimum wage in many cases. So what happens, whether you're a small business or large business, is you have to address compression because you're remaining competitive by paying a wage higher than minimum wage. Well, once you raise minimum wage, you're now increasing that bar for all of those wages above it to be able to still you know, show how much you respect the work of your employees and to remain competitiveness. You have said in the the past that you agree that wage earners should make a higher wage. So how do we reach that outcome? Well, the chamber has been very invested in workforce development efforts. We truly want to lift people up. We want them to have those skills, um, want to be able to have those high demand skills that then earn a higher wage. You know, and then on the other side of it, this is all about cost of living and self-sustainability. We should be talking about skills, skill development, um, employers that are also giving back to employees by paying for tuition reimbursement programs and continuing education and being able to lift their employees up that way. But there's also cost of transportation, uh, housing affordability, and many additional issues that truly contribute to that notion of self-sustainability and a quote-unquote livable wage. It's not simply about the wage, but it's also talking about the cost of living as well. That cost of living has gone up recently in Tucson as the housing market, both rental and purchase, uh, prices have increased a wage increase, of course, would hit very quickly as opposed to training programs and things like that that you mentioned. So, so how do we balance those? Well, one, you don't support a proposition that's poorly written. You know, and I think that, that, that that's it. And then let's have a community conversation. Let's talk about all of these issues that are contributing to our cost of living. In the city and the county both uh, invested in quality early child care to help be able to provide those services to those that can't afford it. There is, there is a lot of economic data on what that return on investment is. Well, with this proposition and higher minimum wage, those child care workers also are going to receive, are also going to be negatively impacted. You know, child care programs do in some cases have those minimum wage earners, as well as those experienced professionals that are also going to have to absorb compression. 
childcare. You're driving up the cost of childcare through this proposition, which is just one more issue of affordability that we're trying to address in this community. That was Amber Smith with the Tucson Metro Chamber of Commerce. We talked to minimum wage workers in Tucson. 23-year-old Daniela told us the raise could change her life. Basically, what it would mean is that I um, would have to work less hours. I wouldn't have to um, spend so much time feeling stressed out about getting enough hours to be able to pay for housing, pay for food, um, just pay for the things that I need. And right now, at this point, um, just like when I've sat down and like budgeted it, um, I would have to work um, like 50 hours a week to be able to meet just like my basic living expenses. So that um, isn't super feasible and has led to like yeah, just things being really difficult. And it would be great to not have to work that many hours a week in order to just like pay for healthcare, pay for my rent, pay for things like that. Matt Cable, the owner of Fresco Pizzeria and a partner in other restaurants in town, says a minimum wage increase would be a hit to his business. Just, you know, you kind of just have to raise your prices accordingly. And then also with labor, you need to be a little more careful Whereas before you could maybe have that extra person on just to be safe, uh, you know, you're not going to do that as much anymore. Um, uh, but as far as a, uh, you know, affects the overall business, um, you know, it's bad timing because right now we have our food cost is, is just at record levels. Uh, uh, the getting anything from our vendors is at, at anything reasonable price is just out the window. I mean, you know, we have a lot of our, our paper goods that you need for like to go and whatnot. Um, and just basic stuff that's, that's more than a hundred percent, that's more than it used to be. And I'm sure, you know, the prices of meats and, uh, you know, cheeses and stuff like that and the availability just from the grocery stores. Cable also says the raise would just be part of the business landscape. I would, wouldn't necessarily say it would affect us negatively because, you know, we've been dealing with you know, a lot of hits one after the other. And, and you know, you just you just kind of you look at each one and you, you see how you're going to deal with it. And, you know, our prices are going to go up and, you know, we're going to have to run tighter labor. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, everything's OK after that. That was local restaurateur Matt Cable talking about how he believes a minimum wage hike would hit his business. This week, we're looking at the ballot for the city of Tucson election. Ballots go in the mail next week. Three Tucson wards, three, five, and six, have races. In Ward 5, incumbent Democrat Richard Fimbris is unopposed. In Ward 6, longtime incumbent Democrat Steve Kozacek is facing independent Val Romero. We'll talk about the open seat in Ward 3 with Dylan Smith, the publisher of the Tucson Sentinel, and Sarah Garrett-Gasson, the editorial page editor for the Arizona Daily Star, in a moment. But the three of us began our conversation with Proposition 410, which would give a raise to Tucson's mayor and city council members. The mayor's salary would go from $42,000 a year to $54,000, and city council members would go from $24,000 to $36,000 annually. 
There's also an automatic cost of living increase, and the raises would not go into effect until December of 2023. Smith pointed out Tucson voters have not given the mayor and council a raise since 1999. I think part of it is, uh, well, people just don't like politicians, pure and simple, even if they, you know, uh, may like them individually or their policies, just politicians as a class, our elected officials are, you know, not exactly the most popular people overall and uh, voting to give them any kind of money if it's your choice. Uh, as we've seen time and again in Tucson, voters say no. This particular proposition and formulation, I think, might have more of a chance than prior uh, efforts because it's not people on, you're not voting for a raise for the people currently on the council necessarily because it's delayed um, and when it would go into effect. But I think Dylan's right that we could have... Um, and I'm not making a comment on anyone in office now, but you could be you could be Superman on the city council and you would not get a voter to, to give you a raise. I think that's uh, just sort of the lack of understanding of the role of what a city council and mayor do, the need for it and the need to have people who can make a living wage while well there's a real difference between what we pay members of the city council and also members of the state legislature and so many other elected officials uh county supervisors get paid uh you know what almost four times as much as a member of the city council and no wonder that's a job that everybody wants uh, comparatively but uh, you get what you pay for in one sense it makes it really hard to get a lot of people who would otherwise be unable to run for office to decide to uh, throw their hat into the ring and that's you know partially why uh, we always have these elections where almost no one's running I want to switch to the races that we've got for wards three five and six. Uh, the big race, if you will, Ward 3, it's an open seat. Paul Durham left the city council earlier this year. Karen Ulick was brought in to, to fill his place, but she said she wasn't running. So we have three people running for an open seat on the city council. Kevin Dahl, the Democrat, Alan Harwell, the Republican, and Lucy Libosha, who's an independent. How does this three-way race shape up? Well, you, you said it's the big race. It's you know, one of the only races we're, we're seeing. But uh, I, I think given all of the circumstances, this is a uh, something that I think in all of these, the Democrat will likely win fairly easily. Uh, we've seen for several city elections now, the Republicans not putting up uh, very good candidates. Uh, out of these three possible seats, this time they put up one person across the three wards. And uh, you, you really have to say he's just by far not a great uh, standard bearer for the Republican Party in the city of Tucson. Yeah, the the um, the Democrats have the, the registration uh, favor, just pure numbers. And I have to say, I don't know how how hard the Republicans push trying to get really good candidates to run. Um, it doesn't seem like they're trying very hard in, in some cases. 
And I think that really does a disservice to not only uh, the voters for not really having a choice, and but it also it it makes the elections perfunctory, and so we're not discussing a lot of the issues that uh, really need to be to be discussed in detail by qualified candidates who have the um, the knowledge and the uh, experience to talk with authority on on city issues rather than making generic I love police I love public safety you know those sort of campaign Sarah attitudes. what would you like to see them say beyond I love police public safety our roads are bad and need to be fixed the things that we hear a lot what would you like to hear them talk about well I would like to hear those things but I would also like to hear realistic um, ideas for how to improve those things. Instead, we get um, candidates who make just general statements about things that are, are their priorities that the Tucson City Council has absolutely nothing to, to do with, um, like protecting our public schools and protecting our children's or children, excuse me, children. Um, and, or on, for example, Alan Harwell's website, um, he wants the chief of police to be elected, not appointed. Well, that's not something that you can just wave a magic wand and do. So some, some detailed information about how you would accomplish things with some some reality. I don't, I don't want to spend too long too. Uh, digging into uh, Harwell's situation because I, I don't think he spent too long digging into his own candidacy here. But he's somebody. You the cliche of a Republican candidate is that they're the party of the business community. He managed to raise before the primary all of one hundred and thirty dollars for his campaign. That is more than one of the uh, incumbents who's on the ballot. That Steve Kazachek and, and another ward is running without raising any money at all for himself, at least. Uh, but Harwell wants to do things like uh, that have nothing to do with the city council, but they put surveillance cameras in uh, school classrooms so that he can make sure that teachers aren't teaching uh, critical race theory, things like that. It's, it's you know, uh, basically tossing around some slogans. There is another candidate in that race who is, uh, you know, bringing a little bit more to the table and uh, running at uh the Democrat, Kevin Dahl, who is, you know, fairly left-leaning, uh, an environmentalist, uh, you know, Lucy Labosha is running at him from the left and uh, trying to see uh, just how far she can uh, get voters in Ward 3 to uh, move in that direction. Let's talk about turnout. Um, City of Tucson has gotten itself in trouble with the uh, the legislature up in Phoenix, because we have these off-year elections, courts have ruled, we're a charter city, we can do what we want on this. Dylan, you looked at the turnout after the primary and found, it seems like, the vast, vast majority of people who cast ballots were over the age of 55. What does that say about City of Tucson elections and who's voting and what the city council could look like. I, I think that's broadly true of primaries in general, not just city of Tucson primaries. The people who turn out to vote 
are those who've been doing it for a good long time and it's a habit and they've you know done it election cycle after election cycle and it doesn't really matter to them uh, you know if it's a presidential year or even just a, you know a, a, a even year congressional race they're going to show up and vote and that's something that uh, kind of uh, a little bit kneecaps uh, more progressive candidates in local elections if they're trying to appeal to uh, you know, younger folks who are a little bit more left leaning. That's what we saw in uh, the Ward Six Democratic primary, where uh, Steve Kazachik managed to pretty easily fend off a, a couple of progressive uh, primary challengers. But to to the point about turnout, you know, uh, there are fewer people who vote in Tucson city elections than vote in what you might call the more popular elections, the ones that have higher profile, but city elections would be at the bottom of one of those ballots if we did move to even years. And a lot of people don't make it down to the bottom of their ballot or flip things over. There's, you know, the undervote is huge in some of those races. Sarah, you were nodding your head. Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, and I do think that with the, the loyal, you know, I'm going to vote no matter what the election is kind of folks, um, they're very engaged and they understand something I wish more people um, would would understand. And that's that, you know, we get these low turnouts for the offices that are going to affect our daily lives more than who's, you know, president, pretty much. Um, you know, this is trash pickup. This is Tucson water. This is uh, parks. This is roads. These are the offices that unfortunately get overlooked, even though they have the most direct impact on Tucson residents day in and day out. That was Sarah Garrett Gasson from the Arizona Daily Star and Dylan Smith from the Tucson Sentinel. The last day to register to vote in the city of Tucson election is October 4th. Ballots go out on the 6th. Visit news.azpm.org for more candidate information. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all of our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Megan Myskowski helped produce this week's show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.